The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Of Mark, as Mark is unpacking for us who King Jesus is and what he came to do. We've been saying over and over again that Jesus is the King, and he's the king who came to die on the cross. And so what we're doing is we're working our way through the last week of the life of Christ. Um, Chapter 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 are the last days of of King Jesus before he dies on the cross only to resurrect a couple of days later. And so we're right there about the middle of the week on that on Tuesday, and what we've been seeing is that King Jesus has been fielding a series of questions from people um, as he's walking and as he's teaching in the temple. Uh, all of these opponents, groups of opponents, have been coming to him, trying to destroy him, trying to catch him in his words. And now we're on the tail end of all of these interactions of groups of people who have been asking questions to. King Jesus. But as we turn our attention to this last sort of question that's going to come to Jesus, there's something that's a little bit different about what we're going to see um, this morning as opposed to what we've seen in the past couple of weeks. Because this guy who's going to come, the scribe, the motivation of his question is less confrontation and it's actually a bit more clarification. As he poses the question to Jesus there in verse 28, which commandment is the most important of all? And so when you hear that and we begin to work through that, what you need to have in your mind again is less. This guy is trying to hang Jesus out to dry and set him on the horns of a dilemma. He's genuinely coming to Jesus with a question of clarification. Um, And so what we're going to do is see that as Jesus begins to answer this guy's question, he's going to let this scribe know he is further down the road towards understanding who Jesus is, further down the road than maybe he might realize he's close to the kingdom of God. He's not far from the kingdom of God, Jesus is going to say, but he's not in the kingdom of God. And that's what we're going to unpack this morning as we look at this man who is not far from the kingdom of God. And so what we're going to do is we're going to hit pause and we're going to pray. What we need to hear this morning is not just the mere words of a man. What we need to hear this morning is the word of God. We need our eyes open to see Jesus. We need our minds open to understand the scriptures And so this morning, what we're going to do is pray and ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to do that very thing, okay? And so just like Brian does in the morning, this isn't a chance for you to sort of get a quick, like sort of 30-second nap while I pray, and then you guys can just come back and join me or maybe even keep keep sleeping. Uh, But this is a chance for you guys to engage the heavens right now in prayer, okay? So let's go to bat. Let's ask King Jesus to hear our prayer as we ask him to open up his scriptures, all right? Father, the last thing what we need this morning is just a, a, a mere speech, just another lecture, another message. That is, that is not our aim this morning. Our aim is to hear from the Lord God, to hear from you, 
to hear from your word, to hear the gospel, the good news that Jesus is a great Savior who saves great sinners. Now we're going to articulate this message this morning, this gospel, with words. That's how we communicate. But Father, we're asking that this morning would not be this gospel proclamation, this unpacking of Scripture, this morning would not be in word only. But it would be in power, in the Holy Spirit, in full conviction that as we hear these words this morning, it's as if Christ Himself We're talking to us. So Holy Spirit, come with power. Come with power. Open our eyes to see Jesus. Open our minds to understand the Scriptures. May it be said this morning, the God of heaven and earth moved in our midst because He delighted to empower the preaching of His Word. And it's the name of of King Jesus, our resurrected Savior, we pray. Amen. Well, if you are familiar with a stars and stripes wearing motorcycle stuntman, then you might be familiar with a famous man named Evil Knievel. He was a famous daredevil. And he was just known for his outrageous stunts that he would perform generally on his, his motorcycle. And it's this famous daredevil, Evil Knievel, who sought to do the impossible back in September 8th of 1974 when he set out to jump the Snake Canyon in southern Idaho. And so when the moment came for the big event, it was a televised event, the wide world of sports was covering it, there was just all this big hoopla going on as Evil Knievel had set up this steam-powered rocket motorcycle that he was going to climb into and shoot himself across this canyon in southern Idaho. And so when the moment came to jump Snake Canyon, Evil Knievel went up with a burst of power only for his parachute to prematurely deploy almost as soon as he left the ramp. And even though the craft actually had enough power to make it across the canyon while he was still in the air, what happened is the prevailing winds at the time caught that parachute that had deployed and drifted him all the way back to where he had began. And so what we can say is that even though Evil Knievel was close to completing his jump, I mean, he cleared the canyon. He didn't land it, but he cleared the canyon. He got to the other side. Even though he was close to completing his jump, Knievel wasn't close enough, proving that the old phrase, almost, isn't enough. And if there was ever a phrase that you could use, that close but not close enough, that idea of almost is not enough, that you could use that phrase and apply it to someone that we find in the Scriptures, it would be to the scribe that we bump into here as King Jesus is going to interact with this religious leader, a man who was sort of like the theological teacher of the day. Because as Jesus is going to unpack for us... 
that this man had an understanding of Scripture. He understood some key tenets of what it means to love God and to love neighbor. But what's going to happen is that as we understand that this guy was close but not close enough, Jesus is going to help him understand something. And this guy is going to come to Jesus with this question because I think he genuinely, like we've said earlier, has a a heart of not confrontation but clarification. And what he wants to know from Jesus is one of those sort of like big questions of life. He's going to ask Jesus, I think, this idea of what is God's purpose for me? But it's going to be couched in this idea of what commandment is the most important of all? You see, when the scribe comes to King Jesus, he's coming with a genuine heart, as we're going to see here in verse 28. He's been watching Jesus handle all these questions with wisdom. And I think what he's going to say is like, man, like, I've got sort of this burning question. Like, I genuinely want to know, what does God want from me? Like, what is God's purpose for me? And because he's sort of like the Bible teacher of the day, the way he's going to come at this idea of what does God want from me, what is his desire for me, what is his purpose for me, he's going to come at it through the question of the commandments. Because that's just what his life revolves around. And so you can see there in verse 28 that as the scribe comes to Jesus, Mark tells us that he came up, He's been watching the religious leaders dispute with one another as they've been trying to hang out Jesus to dry on the horns of a dilemma, asking all these hard questions. And Mark says that as the scribe saw Jesus answer these questions well, into verse 28, he asks Jesus this question, which commandment is the most important of all? Which one? You see, contrary to those religious leaders, this is a question of clarification. He has a sincere question. I think we're supposed to to sense the sincerity that is marking this question. And he sees that Jesus has the ability to answer this question. And so he says, which commandment? Which commandment? Tell me. And what we can see is that he's really, in essence, posing a question of priority. So when he says which commandment is the most important of all, he's basically saying, Jesus, I need you to like, sort of list out in like, descending order like which commandments are the most important. Start with number one, and then you start working down from there, because like, I want to, to get the sense of how these things are meant to be ordered. He wants to know from Jesus... What is God's purpose? Because if God wants something from me, then what you need to know, Jesus, is I want to do what God wants for me. So help me prioritize God's commandments. Because the scribe, being one of the religious leaders of the day, what we need to understand is, as we said just a couple minutes ago, he is the expert of God's law. In the day, if there were like the theologians, it would be the scribes. These are the lawyers of theology. If there were theological disputes, you tapped the scribes. Their lives revolved around the study of Scripture. So it just makes total sense that this, what is God's purpose for me, that the scribe is going to come at it through the lens of something that is very near and dear to his heart. And just like today, questions about which laws are more important than others 
They were of interest to this scribe, and so he wants to know. And as Jesus has just proved, if anyone can answer this, it's going to be Jesus. So he says, Jesus, prioritize for me. Help me, please. And he goes right to the man who is standing before him. And so you can see in verse 29, Jesus answers the scribe. He says, listen, I'll help you out, my man. The most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God. Notice the four alls there. Do you see them? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Then he says, the second commandment is this. And so it's sort of like, well, man, why we're going down this road? I know you asked for one, but like, here's a, here's a penny for your thought. I'm going to give you, give you free advice. So here's the second. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. In other words, Jesus says to the scribe that God's purpose for every human being is wholehearted devotion to him. So he's beginning to lay the groundwork for this scribe, this religious leader. What he's saying to him, listen, if you're wanting to just sort of summarize God's commandments into a nutshell, it is this. God's purpose for every human being is wholehearted devotion to him. This is what God created you for. This is what God created us for. And because this is true, we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. God is to be the object of our heart's devotion as the center of our being is directed to Him, engaged for His glory. We are to love Him with all our soul so that our affections and our our emotions are bent to Him to fall in line with His will. We are to give our thought life to God, seeking to keep our mind pure, seeking to keep our mind controlled by the Scriptures, by the Word of God. And even our strength, Jesus says, is to be given to Him as well. And then in turn, Jesus says, that when you are engaging God, loving Him with heart, soul, mind, strength, we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. Because growing out of our love for God, Jesus says we are to love those who have been created by God in His image. In other words, if we are going to love God, Jesus says the real-world application is we will love those things which He finds lovely. And because man and woman are created in the image of God, the only thing in all creation stamped with that that very particular image, God finds men and women to be of dignity and of value and of worth. He finds them to be lovely. And so Jesus is saying, as you're engaging in this sort of vertical aspect, love God, heart, soul, mind, strength, the overflowing implication is that you will look out and begin to see men, women, black, white, rich, poor, old, young, created in his image as lovely. And we are to go out and to love in that way. So in the end, when Jesus says there is no other commandment greater than these, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself, it is nothing less than a call to love God wholly and to love God completely. 
And the reason why Jesus underlines love for God and love for neighbor as the greatest commandment is because even though the scribe's question was sincere, because I think that is, he is coming at Jesus with the utmost sincerity in his question. But I think the reason why Jesus doesn't say, well, it's like, well, bro, you know the Ten Commandments, just rip those ten off. Or, man, you, you've got the book of Leviticus, man, just go knock the dust off and just sort of reread that again. I think the reason why he summarizes the entirety of God's law into two loves, love God and love neighbor, is because he understands that even though this guy is coming to him with sincerity, he understands that his question is coming from a place that's just a little slightly off. You see, the Apostle John tells us in the Gospel of John that Jesus knows the heart of man. And because this is true, I think Jesus answers the scribe's question in the way he does because he knows what the scribe is really looking for when he asks Jesus to basically prioritize the law of God. He wants Jesus, in essence, to list the laws of God in a clear order of priority so that he can walk away from Jesus and begin to measure his life against how well he is keeping the laws of God that Jesus just prioritized. In other words, the scribe is looking for Jesus to manufacture a list of religious rules that he can use as a measuring stick to reassure himself that he is right with God. So do you see what he's doing? Jesus, unpack the Old Testament for him, man. Boil it down to a nutshell. Jesus says, love God, love neighbor. And I think what he's going to do is go, man, that's great. Jesus is prioritizing this because if I want a list of things that I need to devote myself to in order to reassure myself, hey, I'm doing things rightly as God has called me to do them rightly. Man, if anybody can tell me what I need to prioritize in my life to use as a measuring stick to make sure I'm right with God, it's Jesus. And so he comes and says, list them out for me, man. List them out for me. I want to know. And so when Jesus says, you need to love God and love your neighbor, what he's doing is he's underlying the fact that anyone's attempt to measure themselves against a list of religious rules for their own reassurance is bound to lead to disaster. It's bound to lead to disaster. Because God's law doesn't require mere obedience. Like the law of God isn't there so that we can have some sort of standard of perfection that's listed out by God that we can strive for and attain on our own. God's law doesn't require mere obedience. Hey, man, just go off and do these things. I don't care where your heart's at. I don't care where your mind's at. I don't care where your soul's at. I don't care where your strength's at. Jesus says, no, man. Like Jesus is after your heart. He's after your soul. He's after your mind. He's after your strength. Jesus is saying to this scribe, and he's saying to us, to love God and love neighbor fully, wholly, completely. It requires comprehensive, universal, undiluted love for God that then carries over into a love for neighbor. Now, you round out of verse 31, and then you roll into verse 32, where Jesus is going to engage this man's answer. I mean, it's just flat-out obvious that this man, this scribe, is overly impressed with Jesus' answer. 
Like he's overly impressed with, his, with this answer from Jesus. It's almost like he's off in the corner going, yes, like he's over fist pumping. Maybe in his mind he's high-fiving himself. But he's like, man, I knew this is what Jesus, man. I just had, I had a thought, man. I just sort of was assuming Jesus was going to go this route. I mean, he's clearly impressed by the response of Jesus. And the way he responds to Jesus, Jesus even says to him, listen, man, like you're, you answered wisely. You see that down in verse 34, like this guy isn't off base. And because he is responding to Jesus in the way he does, and we even see Jesus commending him with a wise answer, but notice that Jesus is still going to look at the scribe and say, but brother, you are still a man who is not far from the kingdom. You're not in, you're close. And so we see this play out in verse 32. Mark tells us that the scribe says to Jesus, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he, the Lord God, is one, and there is no other besides him. And he agrees further that to love God with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Like this guy's, he's getting it, right? He's making that distinction. Like Jesus, this isn't after like religious rules and regs. Like Jesus is after the heart. This is what he's articulating back to Jesus. Jesus, you're, you're yes, this is it. And so upon hearing Jesus' answer to his question, the scribe, he just flat out responds with delight. It's almost as we just said, he hears Jesus and says, well said, teacher. Yes, like I've been pondering this for a long time. And like you've, you've said exactly what I thought you would say. Like I've found myself thinking the exact same things that you've just said. And that is totally good. And it's totally right on the part of the scribe. The scribe, here's Jesus, declare from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, that the Lord our God is one. And he agrees. He adds to this truth in his response from Isaiah chapter 45, verse 6, that there is no other God besides him. And rightly so. He even vigorously nods his head to the implications of loving God supremely and loving neighbor genuinely. He's like, yes. That's right, Jesus. He even goes so far as to say that love for God and love for neighbor is far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices, echoing the refrain of Old Testament prophets like Hosea, whom he would have studied and known and understand, where in the book of Hosea, God tells his people, listen, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. I desire the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. So here is the scribe, the religious theological teacher who spends his life understanding Scripture, vigorously agreeing with the words of Jesus. And when you step back and look at him, you begin to think, I think we've just discovered the first guy in the book of Mark who's actually going to be the one called out as in the kingdom. 
Here we are at the end of Mark 12. 1 through 11 has just been series of events and series of interactions where it's like people are not getting it, not getting it, not getting it, not getting it, not getting it. Scribe shows up, and you're prone to go, I think this guy's in. I think this guy gets it. Listen to how he's agreeing with Jesus. Listen to how he understands it's not about religious regs. Listen to how he's coming at Jesus and agreeing it's an issue of love. Love God and love neighbor. Jesus even says, brother, you're answering wisely. But notice that despite his wise answer, Jesus says the exact opposite of what you'd expect him to say next. Do you guys see that down there in verse 34? He says the exact opposite of what you'd expect him to say next. Instead of saying, my man, that's it. You are a man in the kingdom of God. He doesn't say that. Instead, Jesus says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Close, evil can evil, but not close enough. And it was this response from Jesus that really got me to thinking, and I hope it really gets you thinking right now. How on earth is this guy, the one who looks like is in the kingdom, not actually in the kingdom, but close? And the question I had was, why does Jesus say, this man's not far, instead of saying, this man is in? Like, why? Why does Jesus say that? I mean, after all, think about it. The scribe is asking good questions, just like we can ask good questions of Jesus. The scribe is agreeing with the answers of Jesus, just like we can agree with the answers of Jesus. He answers wisely, like we can even answer wisely. This man is religious, this man is sincere. He's not trying to hang Jesus out to dry. This man knows his Bible. He believes in God. He believes he's one, and he believes there's no other one besides him. He even agrees that it's right to love God and, as a result, love others. Like, he's not laying out, like, a bunch of rules that we've got to follow that are just sort of like those, like, very burdensome. It's like this. This is the commands to love Good rules, good commandments. Love God. Love neighbor. Yet, Jesus looks at him and says, close, but not close enough. Close, but not close enough to be in the kingdom. And I think what we can do is begin to answer this question of why does Jesus say he's not far and not in by actually asking ourselves another question. And the other question, I think, that will shine light on why he's not far and not in is this question. What is the most serious sin of all? What's the most serious sin of all? Imagine you and I just go grab a cup of coffee this coming week, and we just sit down, shoot in the breeze, chitty-chat. Then all of a sudden, the conversation just sort of shifts. And I were to ask you that question. My man, like, young lady, what, what do you think? What's the most serious sin of all? How would, you, how would you answer that question? Murder? 
It's pretty big. Adultery. Lust. Pride. Abuse. Unbelief. I mean, those are some humdingers. Not small. But I agree with one brother who said that if, according to Jesus, the greatest commandment is to love God and love the Lord, God, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, then the greatest sin of all would actually be the failure to keep the greatest commandment. Jesus has just said, this is it, man. This is the greatest. I mean, that's what he says within verse 29. The most important is this. Love God, heart, soul, mind, strength. I would agree that then if Jesus is articulating that this is the most important, love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength, then the most serious sin would be to not love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. You see, you and I have not kept the greatest commandment for five full minutes in our entire life, whether you're one week old or whether you're 101 years old. We have never loved God fully with our whole heart. Our soul has never overflowed with unending affection for God. Our mind has been lazy in understanding God and His Word, and we have only used a portion of our strength and our love for God. You see, when it comes to keeping the greatest commandment, you and I have proved ourselves over and over and over again not to be law keepers, but actually lawbreakers, which is why the great commandment magnifies our great need for a great Savior. Do you see what's going on here? Like Jesus is rolling out this whole idea of love God and love neighbor to this guy because what he needs to see is that he actually hasn't kept this law no matter how vigorously he nods his head in agreement. Because if, like the scribe, we think we can love God and love neighbor in our own strength, then in our striving, we will forfeit eternal life. If the standard of perfection, according to Jesus, to get into heaven, to spend eternity with him, to have sins forgiven, is love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength, then you and I are sunk because we have never kept that law perfectly. We haven't. Not for like a full five consecutive minutes. We have failed to achieve perfect, full, complete, comprehensive love of heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if the standard of right standing with God the Father is, do this perfectly without ever failing, then you and I are sunk. Sunk. We have no hope of having a right relationship with God. So when Jesus says to the scribe, my man, you are not far from the kingdom of God, the implication is that it is this very point which the scribe was missing. He hears Jesus say, love God and love neighbor, and he walks away like this, two enthusiastic thumbs up. Love God and love neighbor? Got it. Let's hit it. And he goes walking away from Jesus right down the aisle because why? He's like, man, this is it. I can do this. 
He hears Jesus say, love God. He's like, I can do this in my own strength. He hears Jesus say, love your neighbor. And he's like, I can do this in my own strength. But that's the point that he's missing because you and I cannot do this in our own strength. The scribe ultimately fails to see that in his own strength, he will never be able to love God perfectly and love neighbor completely. He fails to see that attempting, listen, he fails to see that attempting to earn salvation from God by keeping religious rules is like attempting to climb your way into heaven on a rope made of sand. You ever try to climb anything using a rope made of sand? Can't be done. Can't be done. And when you and I set out to make a list of do's and don'ts, thinking that if we strive to keep these lists of religious do's and don'ts, hoping that in the end the do's outweigh the don'ts, I mean, after all, it's not like I've done all, 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 but I mean, I've done a little bit of some, 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 and surely that's worth something before God. But the Scriptures say, brother, if you're going to try to attain right standing with God the Father, by the avenue of keeping the laws of God perfectly, you don't get to pick and choose. This isn't like going to the candy store and saying, I want a little bit of this and not a little bit of that. I don't like black licorice, but I love the lollipop. Like, you don't get to treat God's word like that. If you're going to try to earn salvation, right standing with the Father, by being a good and religious and moral person, hoping the goods outweigh the bads, the law of God, the word of God says itself, you can't pick and choose. If you're going to go by one, you've got to go by all. And the reality is that's just even dumping more stuff on you. Like Jesus is saying, here, love God and love neighbor. Like that's just two. It's the summation of the laws, what Jesus says in, in Matthew. But it's just simple, man. Just go do two. Just try to keep two. Love God, love neighbor. You're going to walk out of here. I can guarantee you're going to pull out of the parking lot and some guy's going to come down the street. Well, I guess that was good for at least about 10 minutes, right? Your kid's going to wake up tomorrow morning. Drop an atom bomb in the middle of the house. Anger. Well, he sure tried, right? Your neighbor across the street is going to do something you don't like. Your coworker is going to say something to make you angry. You respond in anger. Well, you know, hearty effort. See, we can't attain. We can't attain salvation in our own striving, in our own striving. Our striving will be losing. Attempting to climb your way into heaven by being a good, righteous, religious, moral person who makes great decisions, hoping that the good will outweigh the bad, is like trying to climb into heaven on a rope made of sand. It just cannot be done. But here's the good news of the gospel. You see, the law says to you, you can't do it. You can't do it. But the gospel says... There's somebody who has done it. And his name's Jesus. There is another, the gospel says, who has filled the command to love God and love neighbor in its totality. 
And not only that, this one has paid the penalty required for the fact that you and I have not loved God fully and loved neighbor completely. You see, this is why the scribe is close to the kingdom, but not in the kingdom. When he hears Jesus say, love God and love neighbor, he fails to see his need for Jesus, the only one who's ever loved God fully with heart, soul, mind, and strength and loved neighbor as self. See, the law isn't there, love God and love neighbor, so you can go out and pull yourself up by the bootstraps and just try a little bit harder. Jesus isn't saying, brother, you're close, try a little harder. He's saying to the scribe, you're close, look to me. You're close, don't rest in yourself. You're close, place your trust in me. You're close, look to the one who has perfectly kept the law who's perfectly loved the Father, heart, soul, mind, and strength, perfectly loved neighbor as self. Because it's only going to be a couple more days where the perfection of Christ's love for God and love for neighbor are going to perfectly kiss and meet at the cross in the Gospel of Mark. Because when you look to the cross of Jesus Christ, what you find is the full-blown perfection of Christ's love for the Father as he's standing there saying, God, not my will, but your will be done. And there he is hanging his life out as a sacrifice for your sin and my sin, your inability and my inability to love God and love neighbor. And there he is as a sacrifice saying, I'm offering up myself so that if you come to me, neighbor, If you come to me, friend, my love for God and love for neighbor will perfectly be accredited to your account if you come to me trusting in faith. The cross is the epicenter of love for God and love for man displayed in the God-man Jesus Christ. And so the good news of the gospel is don't try and strive on your own. Come on, man, he's done it already. He has attained the perfection you need. Don't dilly-dally. Don't go off and wait. Run to him. Run to him. Look to him. Don't trust yourself. Trust in him. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the good news of the cross. That's the good news of the man who has loved God and loved his neighbor perfectly. And so I wonder, this morning, are you here like the scribe? Are you here like the scribe? You hear Jesus say some pretty sweet stuff from the Bible, and you're like, man, I got this. You hear Jesus say some pretty sweet things from the Scriptures, and you're like, let's bootstrap this thing, man. I'm going to white-knuckle, bear down. I'm going to do this, man. You walk out only to trip, stumble, and fumble five minutes after you've just convinced yourself that you're going to knock this out for the rest of your life and hope the good outweighs the bad someday when you stand before God. Are you like the scribe here this morning? Because the question we must all wrestle with is this question right here. It's a question of kingdom proximity. Kingdom proximity. Am I not far from the kingdom because I'm trusting in my ability, 
to measure up to God's perfect standard? Or am I actually in the kingdom? Because I'm trusting in my perfect Savior as my only hope of salvation. Not to make things too simplistic, but all of us fall into one of those two categories here this morning. We are here either saying, I know I'm not far from the kingdom. My proximity is close, but not close enough because I am trusting in myself. Just the honest truth is I am trusting in myself, hoping that I will be good enough at the end of all things to have my good outweigh the bad. I'm trusting in my ability to be perfect before God. Or we'll be into the category of I am actually in the kingdom because I realized a long time ago if I'm going to try to do this thing in my own ability, that is the epic fool's errand. And there's no way I'll ever be able to be perfect. And that's why I need my perfect Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you like the scribe here this morning? Let's pray. Father, speak to us this morning. Oh, God, we need you. We need you to open our eyes. We need you to open our minds. We need you to cause our hearts to sense their need for a Savior. Because right now, God, I'm just convinced. There's some of us here who've just heard these words, and we're still in our own mind's eye trying to convince ourselves right now. Bro, like you have no clue about how good I am. You don't know how how good I am at trying to keep this religious thing. I've got this religiousness under wraps. You know, no, I really do think I'm going to be able to, to strive in my own strength. God, I pray that you would just puncture those thoughts, deflate them, erase them, remove them. Father, cause us to see our great need for a Savior. It's in the powerful name of King Jesus I pray these things. Amen.